The results you achieve will be in direct proportion to the effort you apply. Dennis Waitley Man's time here is finite, but the influence of a man is infinite. The question is what shall we do with the daylight that remains? Alright guys, welcome back to another episode of the Build the Life You Want podcast. My name is Bronson Wilkes, I'm the founder and host. Today we are talking about the book 5% More by Mike Alden, Making Small Changes to Achieve Extraordinary Results. Mike Alden, he's a uh, podcaster himself, he's a business owner, a, a lawyer, he's the founder and CEO of Blue Vase Marketing, which is a multi-million dollar marketing company. Uh, so he's done well for himself. Uh, in the book, he actually explains that he came from a pretty lower class environment and household and, and uh, has really done well for himself. He's had some serious ups and downs. Uh, at one point, he, he talked about you know breakups and bankruptcy and different things. And, and so he's had, a, had some highs and some very low lows. And so uh, someone that certainly has some advice to share and uh, someone we can learn from. 5% more. I mean, essentially, the book is, you know, give a bit more in each of these areas of your life. And you'll, of course, achieve more, you'll receive more, you'll provide more value. And that turns into all kinds of success, right? So not an incredibly novel concept, right? Work hard, Work a little harder than your competition. Work a little harder than your fu- your past self, and of course, your future will be brighter, right? But I want to go ahead and pull out some of the highlights, a few of the things that I thought were sort of uniquely inspiring about this book, and and some lessons that we can take away. So let's jump in. I really liked this quote. He says, "Take them as far as they can see, then they will see further." <laughs> Jumping down to the middle of a paragraph, he's obviously telling a story here, and he says, "Once you get there." Just ask for 5% more effort out of yourself. You have already achieved your goal, so you have nothing to lose. You only have things to gain. I apologize for my voice too. I've been sick this week and we're just we're just cruising through. So uh, but you know, the point is kind of like the analogy of a car driving down a highway. You can't see from Utah to California, but driving in the night, all you have to see is the road ahead of you. And as long as you're headed in the right direction you can slowly make those, you know, mile after mile, you can continue to make progress until you you finally see California, right? So get to where your goal is, like set those, those checkpoints, those goals along the way. And once you get to that point, you'll be able to see with new perspective. You'll be able to work with new tools, new skill sets, a foundation that's now in your bag of tricks, right? So once you get there, then you'll be able to see further. Okay, so in his marketing, uh, he's had the opportunity to work with some NASCAR uh, folks. And so they sponsored a car and things. And he says, of course, he wanted them to win and whatever, but he he soon discovered how naive he was. He was working with these very small teams and uh, low budgets in the NASCAR world. Some of these teams have massive budgets. He says, I was talking with the driver, Eddie McDonald, about winning. Eddie McDonald has had a lot of success in lower series, but was also driving a car I sponsored in the Sprint Cup, essentially the major league of racing. I was discussing 5% more and how the speed of the cars 
are very close to each other. How the weight of the cars has to be the same and how the field was, and in my view, pretty level. Eddie corrected me about the field not being so level and reminded me of some of the bigger teams and amount of money they spend to win. Smaller teams like Go Fast have about 10 employees, while Joe Gibbs Racing has hundreds of employees with an annual budget north of $100 million a year, all to be a fraction of a percentage faster than their competitors. Now, in the very, very top echelon of essentially any business or sport, you start to see this, right? They'll, they'll spend tons more time, tons more effort, more employees, bigger teams, more money to just gain those very small fractions of an advantage. You see this in the investing world. Like Bridgewater has, I think, something close to 1,500 employees, and they have all these wild systems of how to monitor their own meritocracy and how they're going to make decisions. And uh, of course, they've they've kind of revolutionized certain aspects of investing where you can maximize profits and limit risk and all these things. Well, they have these slight, slight advantages in the market because of that, you know, hundreds of millions they spend and the large teams they have and the amazing people they have. But just being a little bit better means you're going to get more of the money, right? The big banks that have extra money or whatever, they'll send it over to Bridgewater and they'll invest it. These racers, they have these massive teams just to, to beat out, you know, these other cars that are that are also competing. It's like, can they gain a slight advantage where every race they've just got a they've got a chance of placing slightly higher than they did in the past or slightly higher than the competitors in that they're really competing with. Right. Um, sports is the same way. And he does, he does talk about Usain Bolt, Tiger Woods, all these other people, but, um, the, the slight advantage goes a long way. And I think we've, we've discussed that in other books, like the compound effect or something, right? If you're just a slight bit better than the competition, your likelihood of getting that promotion or, uh, getting that next good job or whatever the case may be, whatever your industry or sport, you're going to have just, uh, it doesn't give you a slight amount more success. It gives you an exponential amount of success. So Mike Alden here played um, division three football in he kind of pulls on some of those stories. He says, by the time I was a junior, the sophomore class was pretty well stocked with talent. There were a couple of guys who got a lot of playing time and a few who seemed to stand out. One guy who played center on offense was a standout in more ways than one. He was an incredible physical specimen at 19. Now, he wasn't the biggest guy on the team and wasn't that big at all, but he was all muscle. And it was rumored that he held the title for Mr. Teen USA. He always seemed to work just a little bit harder than others. When we were finished with our required weight training, he would stay longer. He wasn't the most gifted athletically, but he was always working harder than his peers in his class and the rest of the team. This guy also just stood out in other ways. He seemed to take things slightly more seriously than everyone else. He cared more about football. He eventually started at center. Now we were a Division Three team, so we weren't that big, but for a center, he was barely 210, which is usually the weight of a running back or safety. But because he took the sport more seriously, he studied film more than the rest of the team, and he spent more time in the weight room, he went on to be an NCAA Division II All-American and inducted into the Hall of Fame at Springfield College. 
One other interesting thing about this guy is he is now one of the biggest WWE superstars of all time, John Cena. (laughs) So he's talking about John Cena's work ethic being a slight bit better and in some cases much better than the people around him, right? He didn't have all these physical advantages. He wasn't that tall, that big. 210 pounds is not that big of a a football player, much less a very big lineman. Linemen tend to be really heavy, often very tall too. And so John worked his way into those positions, but that work ethic put him in a position to, to take advantage of other future opportunities that will never come to somebody who uh, is not giving their best all the time. Right. So it's like all these guys to his left and to his right on the football field didn't get these opportunities to join, you know, the WWE or whatever uh, because they're, you know, they're soft. They're not that hard of workers. They're not willing to, to put themselves out there in that way. And so then here's John Cena, who not only is a WWE superstar, but a, a movie star. He's His career has gone in so many different directions that he probably never could have imagined. But his work ethic and willingness to continually go above and beyond put him in these positions. The next section, he says, elite athletes and what 5% means. I want to present you with some pretty compelling data as it relates to elite athletes and their counterparts. First, let's take a look at Tiger Woods, arguably one of the best professional golfers of all time. Below is the list of matches he won and the difference between him and the 10th place golfer. So in 97, Tiger was 270. The 10th place golfer was 286. That's a 5.59% difference. In 2001, it's only a 2.86% difference. In 2002, 3.16. And so it goes. Uh, at one point, 2008, a 1.74% difference between him and the 10th place golfer. So these are pretty crazy, right? He's He's got this tiny advantage over the 10th place golfer. So the second, third, fourth, fifth place golfers are very, very, very close to as good as Tiger Woods during these years. But Tiger Woods won all these championships. So you don't have to be exponentially better than the competition to have exponentially better results. Michael Phelps, we all know his story, right? So him, first place versus last place. In 2012, the 100 butterfly, he he did it in 51.21 seconds. The last place person was 52.05, just a 1.6% advantage. That's a tiny amount, but we all know what happened, right? The 200 fly, the 200 fly, 200 freestyle. The largest advantage I see here is only a 5.4% advantage between Michael Phelps and the last place person. All right, Usain Bolt. He does have one where the difference between him and the last place person was 19%, but I'm assuming the last place person probably gave up or stumbled or something because they ran an 11.99% second 100 meter dash, which uh, I could destroy that. (laughs) Um, But in 2012, the 200 meter dash, 19.32. And the last place person got a 20.69. That's a 6.6 percentage advantage. In 2008, uh, the 100 was a 3.4 advantage. And um, 
the 200 was a 2.3% advantage. So the fastest man alive barely had over a 5% advantage in some of his races. Some of them, not even that. So this 5% rule sure can make a big difference in your success. I like this quote. He says, the last three or four reps is what makes muscle grow. This area of pain divides the champion from someone else who is not a champion, Arnold Schwarzenegger. So he goes on to talk about this trainer and scientist that he knows named John. And uh, he says that John went on to say, long-term muscle growth ensues at the end of each exercise set beyond the point where most people get fatigued or simply give up. By pushing through this threshold ever so slightly on a consistent basis, long-term health benefits are exhibited from weight loss to stronger bones to even stronger mental health. So the concept of, you know, do it until it hurts or it's, you know, you're tired and then go a little bit more, push that just a tiny bit more. I think Muhammad Ali has some famous bit about, you know, you only, you only count the reps after they hurt or after the fatigue sets in or something like that. Right. So once it's painful, then you go a little bit more in, in, in the lifting. That's where all the gain comes from. And that's often the rule in a lot of industries. Like Elon Musk is known for his extreme work hours and things. And, and his success shows that. I mean, if you do everything that the competition is doing, plus some in the same amount of time, you're going to win the, the lion's share of the business. Now, I, I appreciated this section. Of, it's called the top doesn't mean you will fall off. Recognize your 5% moments. He, he's talking about in life, sometimes you feel like you hit a peak. That doesn't mean you, you've maxed out and that you're done. Sometimes it means you got to come back down and climb a different peak, a higher one, a different one, right? So he says, when you get to the top, it doesn't mean it's the end. It's just time to climb a different peak to slowly build the next phase of your life. So sometimes, you know, if you're young and you're into sports or something, that that may be a peak for you. And then you move into the uh, business world and try and get a degree or whatever the route is you go and try and reach a peak in business. Maybe it's as an employee. Then when you're done with that, now it's to build your own business. Then it's to have a family. Then it's to be the best parent, right? Et cetera. There's multiple peaks and you know, so giving, giving your best effort in that one arena and then achieving it doesn't mean that's the end. You kind of reset, take an analysis of your life and see where the next area is that needs that 5% extra of your, your time and energy. This section is called Carpe Diem. I was walking into my home today with my daughter, Morgan, and she saw a little rock in our garden that had the phrase Carpe Diem written on it. She asked me what it meant, so I gave her the literal translation of seize the day or seize the moment. But I went on to tell her that what it really means is appreciate the smaller things in life. I told her that Carpe Diem is there right by our front door to remind me every day to appreciate everything I have and the loved ones around me. Then I continued and told her Carpe Diem reminds me to appreciate the air we breathe, the water we drink, the food we eat, the sun, the moon, the flowers, the grass, the birds. She pretty much had enough of the my attempt of explaining life to her, but I think she got it. Appreciate everything you have just a little bit more from your family all the way down to the ground you walk on. It sounds so idealistic and ridiculous, and sometimes it is, especially when you're having trouble paying your bills. Your life is poor, your health is poor, 
you have family problems and life just seems to suck. I've been there. And when I began to realize how lucky we were and slowly started to appreciate things just a little bit more, I got a little bit happier. So the concept works. I mean, what you focus on expands in your life, right? So if you could just talk yourself into being a little bit more appreciative, a little happier with what's around you, uh, your your entire life would certainly feel more pleasant. He was going through a rough patch, getting a separation from a longtime girlfriend. He was at college, et cetera. His dad came to help him move. He says, that's when he put his arm on my shoulder in front of my now old apartment and told me that all I really needed was my tunes, my wills, and my clothes, and that everything else was replaceable. Skipping down a bit, he says, tunes, wills, and clothes are not necessities to life, but they were three basic things that made my dad happy. He learned to appreciate them. He learned to appreciate each album and take great pride in the care of his cars. Clothes for him are more of a utility rather than a fashion statement. But the point here is appreciate the small things, the basic things that can make you happy with or without more and savor them. It's usually only a few things that truly make you happy. I love that, right? You only need your your tunes, wheels, and clothes. Like, you can drive down the, the, the road listening to good music and you got clothes on your back. It's like the rest of it's a challenge. Like the life is a journey. Life is a, is a ball game. It's like trying to, trying to figure out how you can get all these fun gizmos and gadgets and have great relationships and good health all at the same time. And sometimes you're winning and sometimes you're losing, but as long as you got the, the tunes, wheels and clothes, you're, you're, you're doing all right. And having that kind of attitude of appreciation is important. I have an uncle who we all sort of cherish as the guy that just, uh, he just appreciates beauty and nature and life. Very basic. He wants his life to just be kind of very easy and problem free. Uh, he's not trying to get rich. He's not trying to be famous. He's just everyone's friend. And, and some of my, my favorite memories are going to Lake Powell with these guys. And, and he always would just be pointing out cliffs and mountains and saying, look at that. Look at that arch over there. Look at that cliff right there. Look at that sunset. Look at the mountain on there. Look at the, look at the shadow of that mountain in the, in the water. Like he just appreciates what's around him. Um, actually a funny story. Uh, I used to go to Lake Powell a fair amount as a, as a kid. And one time just me and my cousin, who's my age and, and his dad, my uncle that I'm talking about, we decided to make a quick trip to Powell <laughs> and he had a boat. And so we go and we took the bare minimum. We got a, a couple of days of clothes, a sleeping bag, air mattress. I had a tent. They didn't. And uh, we grabbed a few cans of food. We didn't eat. We forgot to get like, all the utensils and eating things we need. So we cooked food in the can on the fire and then we dumped it on the one plate that we had and we all just shared the beans or chili or whatever off of that one plate. So funny, but really, I mean, you don't need much. You don't need much to have a good time. And so appreciate the basics. Kind of on a similar vein as the last section, right? He says, make life 5% more exciting for others. He says, what if we embraced a child's excitement level? Why do we have to suppress that excitement? 
What if we were 5% more excited about the basic things in life from just waking up to going to the gym? What if you perceived it all through the eyes of a child? Imagine how your work day would go if you were just a little more enthusiastic about your job. I will tell you this. If you see your life as more exciting, then your life will become more exciting. You will begin to appreciate the little things. I I love that. You know, kids are pretty excited about all kinds of stuff. Uh, And they express that joy and it, it, it makes other people excited, right? Parents are happy to see their kids get excited and it's just contagious. What if you approach your life that way? You showed up to work excited to try and accomplish something today. Instead of looking at it as like, you know, somebody owns my time. What if you looked at it as I get to go see how far I can take this? Next section, 5% more perseverance. Some people at the top appear to be doing things at a pace that is beyond what the average person could even fathom. And they are, but they have compounded on their success. They didn't just get to the level they are at, they worked at it. Skipping a bit, he says, pushing through just a little bit more than others, no matter what level you are at, will increase your odds of success dramatically. And this is a different section, but very similar to similar ideas to that last one. He says, recognize what level you're at. The more effort you put in at each level, regardless of the level you are at, the greater your chances of achieving success at that level and allowing you to make it to the next level. But you must recognize that you must climb to the top of each level in order to make it to the top, right? So there's levels of everything. I mean, Joe Rogan's always saying there's levels, right? Especially in like fighting, there's levels. It's like the best fighter ever just 15 years ago wouldn't even be top five today at his prime, right? Uh, because there's just levels. And as we learn more, we implement more. And and as one great fighter teaches the next fighter all of his best trade secrets, then that fighter takes it to the next level, right? There's just always more levels. So recognize where you're at. Take note, who's where you want to be? Who else is where you're at? What's kind of going on and, and and like, what do you need to do to sort of bring yourself to the top of that level and then look for new opportunities? So anyway, so that's 5% more uh, by Mike Alden. He's, he's quite active on social media and has a podcast and YouTube channel. So I'm sure he would appreciate you uh, coming over there. He's someone that I chat with occasionally on Instagram. And um, so go support him. I appreciate you guys listening and always appreciate your support. If you enjoy this content, please go leave a review on your preferred podcasting host and uh, appreciate you coming. We'll catch you on the next one. Adios. Hey, thanks for listening to the entire episode. As a token of gratitude, I want to give you a discount on my book, Ingrained. Head over to bronsonwilkes.com store and download Ingrained for less than a dollar with the coupon code GOALS, G-O-A-L-S.